Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week. That's one of my favorite holidays of the year, a time of fellowship and feasting and then remembering all of God's goodness and all the ways he's taken care of us. Um, it's such a such a wonderful time to remember our heritage, too, as Americans and the pilgrims and everything. It's a blessing. Those watching on Rumble, please like and follow. That really helps us a lot. Subscribers, thank you so much. I appreciate you just being there as we close out this year, and it's a great blessing to us. There's lots of good videos this week, and we're sorry about that, but they were just so good, had to put them. But um, I hope you'll take time to maybe watch a few of those. One of the documentaries we have below is The Fall of Minneapolis. And if you haven't watched that yet, it just came out a few weeks ago. It's really worth watching and then sharing with everyone you know. It's about the whole George Floyd incident and the riots of 2020. And it goes into so much specific detail. It's vital. And I want to apologize because I think once back in 2020, I mentioned that it was ridiculous what those police did and they should be punished for it. And I was totally wrong in saying that when I'd only seen the one video clip that you've seen, everyone's seen, where it looks like they're kneeling on his neck, which they weren't. Uh, the police officer was on his shoulder blade, which is exactly textbook of what they are taught to do. And it shows all the videos of the arrest. They were so patient with him and so trying to 10, 15, 20 times get him to cooperate, and he wouldn't. And he had just thrown all these drugs into his mouth, and that's what he OD'd on. That's what killed him. It had nothing to do with the, the officer being on his back at all. He would have died shortly thereafter without that. But all of that was withheld. But they have the original autopsy before the FBI fixed it and changed what was in there. And they have, anyway, all the information. But it reminds us once again, everything we hear in the main narrative in society is a lie. On every issue, there's not any issue you're getting the straight scoop. You just have to know that because it's, it's a weird world where everything is a lie. And that's why I think Agenda Weekly is so important to give you a source where people are at least trying to look through the lies and find out what is true, what's the right thing. But anyway, I, I want you to really watch that one. It's powerful. Also, Citizen Four, it's a documentary from 10 years ago about Edward Snowden and the whistleblower that came out against NSA, the National Security Agency, and exposed all the illegal things they were doing. He's a hero. He's not someone to be arrested like our government is trying to do. But he went through all the things they were doing 10 years ago. And you watch that documentary, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And you realize 10 years more of technological advancements. What are they doing now? They're doing whatever they want. And uh, anyway, so on that topic, today we're going to specifically be getting into 50 and 5. Have you heard of that? It came out a couple weeks ago. It was formally launched with countries coming together to commit to sharing learnings, best practices, and technologies that can help radically shorten the implementation journeys for digital public infrastructure, DPI. So that's what it's about. 
and you probably haven't even heard of it. But what they're going to do is get all these 50 countries within the next five years to implement this system I'm going to talk about and how deadly it is. But they're going to do that and then share that technology with all the countries of the world for free. So the whole world can quickly come up to speed and be in this digital world that they want everybody enslaved in. The United Nations, Bill Gates, and the Rockefeller Foundation are the ones behind DPI. It's a digital ID combined with digital currency and digital wallets. So they can have all the data on everything that you do, everywhere you go, every penny you spend, and it's shared with all agencies so you have a complete and total police state worldwide. But that's what we're going to talk about today, and I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much for being a part of what we do. There's three key building blocks of building a totalitarian digital cage for every human on the planet. And here are the three things that you need and that we can see are being worked on right now in earnest in America and throughout the world. Number one, censorship. You have to always censor the truth if you're going to get people to believe propaganda. And we see that happening and we'll talk more about all the ways that's happening right now. Number two, you need a surveillance mechanism. So you know if everyone's doing what you've told them to do. And are they following the rules and the restrictions and things like that? And that's what that 50 and 5 is all about. It's plotting by 2030 to have this system in place. And the last thing you need, which this 50 and 5 really helps them implement as well, is retaliation on resistance. So you need censorship surveillance, and then a retaliation mechanism against those that are resisting what you're trying to do. And we'll show you some examples today of how that's happening right now in America and where they want to take it. Because again, when you have those three things, you censor the truth so no one can find it. You surveil everyone in everything that they do so you know what's going on. And I'll show you a clip later in this episode of what they're doing in China now with some specifics where you can see what it looks like, the world they're trying to create. And then if you have the retaliation mechanism in place, and that's what that 50 and five does, because once everything's digital, as you'll see from the clip about China, then it's very easy to penalize those that are not going along to get along by simply deleting their accounts by restricting their actions, their movements, where they can go, what they can do, what they can buy. So it sets in that final element that's so necessary. We've had censorship for a while. We've had some surveillance for a while, and it's growing every day Those in those two areas. But then this gives them the retaliation mechanism where you don't have to have the FBI go pound in their door, which takes a lot of work on their part. All they have to do is push a button on a computer and you are penalized permanently if necessary, and you're restricted from doing anything, and that's really where they'd like to take this. Now, before I get going on this, I want to read a couple verses out of the Bible in Revelations 13, and you ought to read that whole chapter today, Revelations 13. This is from 2,000 years ago, and the Bible explained DPI, the Digital Programmable Infrastructure, it, it, it explained that 
2,000 years ago, the CBDCs, the digital ID and everything. But listen to this. It's pretty amazing. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And of course, this is the world leader that has risen up with this technology to take total control of the world. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So 2,000 years ago, the Bible told us, when this dictator arises up in the world government, he's going to give you a mark. And without that, you cannot buy or sell. Well, that sounded crazy even 10 years ago. Like, how would you do that? How could you stop someone in Papua New Guinea from buying, you know, some corn at the local market? Well, DPI 50 and 5 explains exactly how they're going to do that. But I just, I thought that as a Christian and and just the interest of those that maybe don't understand the Bible, haven't read the Bible, 2,000 years ago, it told us this system is coming, the one that we have right now. And it's pretty amazing to see that being implemented around us, where that's their goal, openly stated, that they want this infrastructure in place worldwide so that there is no way to resist their authoritarian measures. Now, for a second, going into just the background of the police state in America, um, in 1975, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, called the Church Committee, named after its chairman, Frank Church, who wasn't a good guy, but his committee dug in to find out what's really going on in the CIA. These included its domestic activities, some of its efforts to overthrow foreign governments. Eighty-three governments have been overthrown by the CIA that we know of. Eighty-three and several of its attempts to assassinate world leaders. And also in that church committee, if you watch the videos, which you can still watch, they talked about weapons. In 1975, the CIA had like this gun that shot this bullet that is a frozen poison, and it's a little like dart that goes into you, and it causes you to have a heart attack. And when they were asked before Congress, can it be detected that's what happened? No. So they can shoot you with this bullet. It's a little frozen dart. And when it dissolves in your system, it causes you to have a heart attack. And when the doctor reviews his autopsy, oh, yeah, he just had a heart attack. He doesn't see clearly, oh, he was poisoned or whatever. That's some of the things we saw 40 years ago. You wonder what they're doing today. In the church committee back in 1975, one of the things that was stated is pretty amazing, especially if you watch Citizen Four, again, from 10 years ago, that shows what the NSA is doing. Um, here's what they said in 75. They could see the potential for real problems. The potential of the National Security Agency to violate the privacy of American citizens is unmatched by any other intelligence agency, especially as telecommunication technologies advances. <laughs> I think we've advanced a little bit past 1975, obviously, in telecommunications, but that's what they talked about. And they went into the CIA, the FBI, and the NSA and they exposed all the things that they were doing that were unconstitutional 40 years ago. 
and nothing has been there to stop them. Now, most of you, when I talk about this, are very concerned, as you should be, about any of this kind of stuff. But a recent survey done by the Cato Institute of Generation Z found that, you know, from the dumbing down, them being sidetracked with all social media and stuff, and them being so anxious, they love Big Brother idea. Listen to this. Americans under the age of 30 stand out when it comes to 1984-style in-home government surveillance cameras. 29% of Americans under 30 favor the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. 29%, almost one-third of the upcoming generation thinks, yes, government cameras like Big Brother, 1984, should be installed in every person's home. Interestingly, more than half, 53% of those who support the United States adopting a CBDC are also supportive of government surveillance cameras in homes. So when you see that, you realize, wow, the brainwashing has been effective. We look at that and go, how would anyone say that's a good thing? And here's what their conclusion was. Younger generations are more anxious. And when people are anxious, they become more likely to prioritize security over freedom. So this finding may represent a greater comfort with less freedom as a result of greater mental distress. And these explanations might be connected because the growing surveillance culture and social media more broadly may be contributing to higher rates of anxiety, which ironically may lead to greater support for more surveillance, leading to more anxiety. So the younger generation, because of the surveillance, they know they're being monitored, they're more anxious. And the more anxious they become, the more they want government to surveil everything. <laughs> so again, they're creating fear to cause people to willingly give up their freedoms. And Benjamin Franklin once said, those who will trade freedom for security deserve neither. And it's so true. You have to value freedom above everything. You have to never give your freedoms away for anything because they will always create something or the illusion of something being there that they need to protect you from. And to do this, we're going to have to get rid of the Constitution, but you'll be safe then. And most people, when that's the situation, will go, okay, especially when the government always tells you it'll be temporary. But we've been told that so many times. The Patriot Act, of course, is the modern day foundation of them ramping this up at a whole different level. The Patriot Act was written before September 11th happened, and Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and George W. had talked about that summer before September 11th. We need a modern-day Pearl Harbor if we're ever going to be able to pass this through Congress. And then amazingly, on September 11th, we had a modern-day Pearl Harbor in New York City which, of course, they were the masterminds behind. And we've talked about that before in the past, where the evidence is crystal clear now that that was an inside job. But the Patriot Act, even Wikipedia says this, the law is extremely controversial due to its authorization 
of indefinite detention without trial and due to the permission given to law enforcement to search property and records without the owner's consent or knowledge. So it did away with your constitutional rights. You can be detained without a trial indefinitely. What does that mean? It means you can be put in prison and held there the rest of your life without ever being charged with anything. And we've seen that now, the January 6th prisoners. It's coming up on three years, and they're still sitting there. Well, it's because of good old George W. Bush and the establishment. The expiration provisions of the Patriot Act uh, were supposed to be renewed March 15th, 2020. But Congress said, no, we're not going to renew them. So you would think, oh, good, finally, under Trump, Congress got wise and said, yeah, that's ridiculous. You can't undo these constitutional rights. But to show how deep the deep state is and how deep the establishment is in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, on March 27th of 2020, just a few days after the expiration they instead split the Patriot Act into a bunch of different titles so that they could say, oh, no, the Patriot Act is no longer um, openly in effect because it went extinct on March 15th, 2020. But then they re-implemented it in different sections of it. So it's like a different thing, but it was the exact same thing. Title I, the Patriot Act authorizes measures to enhance the ability of domestic security services to prevent terrorism. And of course, we know they're talking about domestic terrorism. And when they're talking about domestic terrorists, they're not talking about radical Islamist or communist cells in America. They're talking about people that voted for Trump or people that like the Betsy Ross flag or people that love the Constitution or people that wear... 2A t-shirts, and that's their exact definition of domestic terrorist. All those things were included in their report of what a domestic terrorist is. Title II, enhanced surveillance procedures, and it covers all aspects of the surveillance of suspected terrorists. So we're not sure if you're one or not, but we think you could be because you had a Betsy Ross flag flying outside of your house. So now we can do anything we want. I mean, it's unbelievable as you read through it, um, all the things they can do. And so the deception of the conservative Republican Congress to pass with the Democrats, all these same things, but they're even enhanced. They became more hardcore than the Patriot Act under George W. Bush. But most people say, oh, no, the Patriot Act's not there anymore. Its provisions expired and is no longer in effect. The act allowed any district court judge, here's one of the changes, in the United States to issue such surveillance orders and search warrants for terrorism investigations. <laughs> so now any judge in America... It's not just a specific court or somewhere. Any judge can say to the FBI or the police, yeah, you can surveil that person. So you get a couple corrupt judges and you can surveil whoever you want. One of the most controversial aspects of Title V of this new program is National Security Letters, NSLs. Um, they're used by the FBI and other government agencies, the CIA and the Department of Defense, 
It is a demand letter issued to a particular entity or organization to turn over various records and data pertaining to individuals. They require no probable cause or judicial oversight and also contain a gag order preventing the recipient of the letter from disclosing that the letter was even issued. So if they take that to your church and say, we want to see his contributions, we want to see whatever, uh, they have to turn it over and there's a gag order. They will go to prison if they let anybody know that they, the government came to them to get that information about you. Anyway, it goes on and on, but it redefines in there too. Interestingly enough, they must have known January 6, 2021 was coming because they were planning that. It redefined the term domestic terrorism. So it, much, it broadened that out much wider so they could use it on anybody. That's the world that the Patriot Act, the Republicans pushed into existence and now has been used by both parties to start clamping down on patriotic Americans. Now, like I talked about at the beginning, the three building blocks of this are censorship. Of course, is the first one. You have to cut people's ability to hear the truth, to hear the other side of the story. And the WHO treaty right now that's going on that would give the World Health Organization the ability to censor the Internet with the United Nations of any disinformation or misinformation, of course, is going to be a key part of that censorship. The surveillance of everyone, like I've talked about and I'll go into more detail now, that's what 50 and 50 is all about. That plan from the United Nations is to set up much more of a surveillance society. And that's a lot easier to do when everything's digital because then the computers are keeping track of everything and people don't need to be involved in the process. And then number three, of course, the retaliation of resistors. And I'm going to talk about some laws that have just been enacted in America and other places that show, oh, they are setting this up. And they know exactly what they're doing. And as you dig in and study all the different nonprofits and governments that are getting involved in this digital personal infrastructure, where they're going to set up this thing where it's personally uh, digitizing everything about every human being and then sharing it with all organizations, advocates are adamant that DPI is essential for participation in markets and society. They're saying, no, if you want to participate in buying and selling anything or just being involved in society at all, you have to be part of this. And again, as they get it successfully implemented in these 50 countries, then they got it down. So then to implement it in a new country after that, when they're giving you all this technology for free, they're giving you all the billions and billions of dollars of research that went into finding out what's the best way of doing this, then countries are going to do it and they'll bribe them into doing it too the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and thinks, well, hey, we'll give you $10 billion of digital currency to get this implemented. And it will be implemented immediately once it's ready across the world. If successful, DPI will give governments and corporations the power to implement systems of social credit that can determine where and how you can travel, what you're allowed to consume, and how you'll be able to transact with your programmable money. Also, it will individually track your carbon footprint and not allow you to spend your CBDC programmable currency 
on less desirable purchases. <laughs> and all this information shared with everyone. So if one organization like the American government is against you, your stuff won't work at Walmart or anywhere else. A lot of this is so crazy sounding, it's hard for us in America to even go, what would that even be like? So I wanna show you this clip right now. Um, it's five minutes long uh, from a documentary that just barely gets into how it's operating in 2021 in China, so it's even got more advanced since then. But just watch this. As I was watching this documentary on it, I just thought, oh my goodness, we don't have a clue in America what the digital cage looks like. What a life in this prison that's invisible to the eye looks like. But watch this and then I'll explain some more. A couple hours drive away is Shanghai, home to 24 million residents. Each city district has a data hub where all the information is collected. Authorities call it the brain. Foreign media are seldom allowed access. Employees in this district alone have access to 290,000 cameras, and in some cases, they can control them directly. Algorithms help staff sort through the material. This monitor maps all construction sites, and the red dots flag irregularities. In one instance, the AI detects a construction worker not wearing a safety helmet. Sheng Dan Dan co-developed the system. It took less than a year to get the first version up and running. Now she can monitor every resident from this office. We've mapped the residential buildings in the district, which ones are occupied, where there are vacancies, where elderly people are living alone, where care or help is needed. It's all stored in our system and can be called up in real time. Even those who do not dispose of their trash properly are recorded. Residents who aren't following the rules are captured on camera from three different angles. The so-called brain acts swiftly. Whether it's an illegally parked car or unsolicited advertising, offenses can be handled by patrol officers who are connected to the control center via a mobile app. As soon as the squads and volunteers in residential districts spot an issue, they can report it and upload footage. They take a photo, report the issue, and then our system automatically decides which department to forward the matter to. The brain in Shanghai's Pudong district is just one component to the overarching surveillance plan the Chinese government is pushing across the country. The goal is to have complete coverage in all major public places, such as train stations, street intersections and parks. 
China's state media boasts that police can identify every single person on the street in just one second. That was just a little bit of that documentary, but wasn't that amazing? Each district, it's like the Hunger Games, it sounds like to me, collects the information with their supercomputers, total surveillance monitoring. That's what they want in America and every single country of the world, what you're seeing right there. That's, that is the future. It said the construction worker didn't have a helmet on. It's that specific. So right then, you know, someone's going to be sent over there to give him a ticket and to warn him or whatever. You're just completely under observation every second of the day from three different angles. And then there's instant recognition. And then she said patrol officers or squads or volunteers. So everyone is spying on everyone to take pictures if they see something that's not supposed to be. Because then it increases your social credit score so you get bonuses and you, it's exactly what they've done in all the communist countries. I've interviewed people that back in Cuba, communist Cuba and stuff, they said whoever the informant was in a family, they get like chocolate or liquor or things from the government. And that's how they would bribe people back then in the 60s um, in communist Cuba. And I thought, wow, it's just people can be bought off. And so you have millions then of these volunteers that are watching you. So what does that do? It just totally separates out society where everyone doesn't even look at each other, stays away from each other. And uh, anyway, and then it said there at the end, the cameras recognize who you are within one second. I've seen some more detailed documentaries on the facial recognition and everything else. They can tell by exactly how you walk who you are. That's how unbelievable the technology is. They don't even have to see your face. Everyone walks slightly different. So if they just see your cadence, the way you walk, the frame of your body, the way your hips are aligned, everything else, oh, that's who this person is. But then the face, of course, they can instantly identify you. And then by your digital ID and your phone and everything else, they in instantly identify you. So it's just, it's, it's a crazy world that seems stupid, like that's never going to happen, but it's already happening right now in parts of the world. And this new plan they just implemented a couple weeks ago says we need it in 50 countries, and America's one of them, within the next five years. And then we're going to spread it worldwide, so we'll be ready for the mark of the beast. The United Nations said this, people-centered smart cities, and I'll tell you, anytime you see the word smart cities, what that means is the 15-minute cities. It's the cities where you do not need to own transportation because everything at the farthest is 15 minutes from you. Smart cities need accessible, secure, and fair digital public infrastructure, so you can tell it's socialistic in what it's talking about, that powers digital services and ensures everyone has equal opportunity to fully participate in civic life. But you're not going to be able to participate if you do not have this DPI system in place with a digital ID and digital payments and everything else. Here's a little graph. I'll show you here. See that? This is from the United Nations and the World Economic Forum talking about this 50 and 5 and explaining it. Your digital ID, here's what it's going to be used for, healthcare, 
for users to access insurance, treatment, to monitor health devices, wearables, for care providers to demonstrate their qualifications, everything. So if you want healthcare, you have to have this. That's how they're going to muscle us into that or try to. And we have to say no. That's why we need all these systems outside of their system. Because financial services, to open a bank account, you'll have to have this digital ID. Or to purchase anything online, you'll have to have it. Food and sustainability. For travel and mobility, they say. To book trips, to go through border control um, between countries or regions, you'll have to have this. So you can't travel if you don't. E-commerce. To shop, to conduct business transactions. Revelation 13. You will not be able to buy or sell without it. Social platforms for social interactions to access third-party services that rely on social media logins. So to even be involved in the internet, to be able to get on there to watch a video or to post a video, or you have to have this because we have to know who you are. Otherwise, you're not welcome. Telecommunications for users to own and use devices if you want a phone. You'll have to have this. Also, to monitor devices and sensors transmitting data, such as energy usage and air quality. It's going to do your carbon footprint, and it's going to do everything else. And again, this is supposed to take place over the next five years. Do you know how fast five years goes? It's unbelievable to me. But they're setting up the whole cage, not just the digital part of it. They're really working on the censorship side of things too, so people won't know all this is happening. The United Nations Agency has unveiled a plan to regulate social media and online communications while cracking down on what is described as false information and conspiracy theories. Isn't that nice? UNESCO outlined a series of concrete measures which must be implemented by all stakeholders, governments, regulatory authorities, civil society, and the platforms themselves. And that just came out too, where they're working on this in earnest. And the head of UNESCO said, stopping certain forms of speech and at the same time preserving freedom of expression is not a contradiction. Oh, it's not? <laughs> when all of our forms of speech, all of the things we talk about that is true, is being censored because it's not politically correct, it's not the narrative of the state, well, that's the world we're going into. The European Union, which already places severe limitations on free expression online, has already provided funding for implementation worldwide. UNESCO added that. Oh, we already have all the funding we need to do this. Across Europe, hate speech rules have increasingly been used not just to silence speech on issues such as marriage, immigration, sexuality, and religion, but even to prosecute those who violate speech laws. Europe is so far down this road, it's kind of hard to comprehend when they used to be so free. But people are being thrown in jail for speech right now in Europe. Just for something you said. Oh, that's hate speech. They're being thrown in jail right now for silent prayer within 500 feet of an abortion clinic. We had a video on that a few months back. But a lady arrested and imprisoned because she was silently praying. Not praying out loud, 
She was sitting there with her head bowed and a police officer asked her, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just praying. He goes, you're under arrest. There's an abortion clinic 500 feet away. <laughs> I mean, um, we need to wake up and realize this because I think we still feel like, oh, this will never happen in America. But it's happening all around us. In New York, just recently, they passed Rule 213, Isolation and Quarantine Procedures. Here's what it will do. It will give the state of New York the ability to come in your home and take you away to quarantine without any notice and for any virus or infection they deem necessary. You won't have any option to fight it, no court date, nothing. The rule has no age limit, so they can come take your one-year-old if they think, oh, I think he's sick with something. And they can keep you as long as they'd like. That's in America. Our friends up north, Trudeau supports partnerships with EU for digital ID push. Part of this 50 and 5, they're really, everybody's getting behind it. And Trudeau suggests it will help curb online disinformation. You think, how would it do that? Because then it knows who you are. Any comments you post, it knows who you are. And they know if you know they know who you are, you'll be quiet because you don't want to be punished. You don't want to be ostracized. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to have your bank account frozen. So you'll just be quiet. It's always fear. It's so important to remember. Here's some key facts on that. Now listen, these are things for you to think about and understand. People are so prone to accept things that they normally wouldn't if they are afraid. Okay? I know you know that. But that's true for all of us. Any of us, if we're really in a desperate situation, we would put up with things that we would not normally put up with if we feel like, oh, it'll help me get out of this situation. So here's some rules. One, be careful when you are afraid. When you can realize I'm fearful, be careful. Don't make decisions. Don't do whatever. Be careful. Number two, analyze who or what is causing my fear. What's causing me to be fearful? The Bible tells us to not be fearful. So one, you need to get on your knees and pray, God, forgive me for being fearful of anything. You are in total control. But we need to then look who is trying to do this. Is it legitimate? And if it is, then you do the logical thing yourself to get out of that situation or to prepare for what's coming or whatever. Next, do they have something to gain from my fear? <laughs> and what is it? Most of the time when you ask that, it'll be crystal clear. Oh, this is what they're doing. And that's what you have to stop and pull back and throw away the fear and, and get the courage and pull that out and say, no, these people are trying to get total control. And so then I need to be out there preaching to others, don't be afraid, fear not. God's got everything under control. These evil people, we must stand against them. And some of the things we can be doing to help with some of these things, to, to not get trapped in the cage, the digital cage of surveillance they're just building around all of us right now. And it's growing every single day. We need to separate out. We need to just go, no, I, I'm not going to be part of this. Mark37.com. I talked about them a few months ago after the prepper camp. 
they have, you know, the private phones and computers and other things you can get so that they can't track you and monitor you and find out what you're doing and who you are and everything else. That's really important. I would go to that mark37.com. We need to cut technologies as much as possible. Just because it's new, just because it's different, doesn't mean it's good. Most of the technologies, if we look at them, that have been created have not saved us time like they say at all. It's demanded much more of us. Because of the technology, we're expected to do more. We're expected to keep in touch with more people. We're expected to do just so many more things. And we're given so many more things that take our time. So we're, we have less time and more to do. It was a total lie. They weren't tools, they were non-tools, like that one guy explained in one of our videos. We need to use cash as much as possible. Put your money in things of value, which helps hedge against inflation, but it also prepares you to barter. When you have a lot of things, hey, I'll trade you this for that. Okay, great. I think we'll be going back to those systems in the next five to 10 years where that'll be one of the primary ways we get what we need is simply bartering. We're not buying and selling things, we're trading things. We need to build community, local connections for all necessities. I know I say that all the time. It's so important. Do you know where your food comes from? If the whole world shut down with an EMP, do you still know where to go get your food? Could you ride your bike down to the farmer that you get your eggs from, where you buy your vegetables from? Do you have things on your own property that help provide some of those things? I hope you do because you need them. We need to work toward self-sufficiency and not being so needy. And what I mean by that is being content with a simple life. Don't need, oh, I need an iPad and a computer and I, I need Netflix and I need Amazon.com and I need, quit being so needy and just enjoy the simplicity of life that God intended us to live. Have a garden, play games with your family, read books out loud, take walks, get to know those around you, build you know, local groups that are standing for what is right and that are preparing together for the things that might be down, coming down the road. Be courageous, stand for the truth, support good people and causes, and remember to just say no to all the technologies that are forthcoming that will make you dependent on Big Brother. We need to say no. I don't care how convenient it is to have a chip under the skin. And I forgot to mention that, but in the 50 and 5, it talked about in the future, ultimately, it will be a mark under the skin that is your communication source. They said that. <laughs> the Bible and God knew what he was talking about and what's coming. And we're living in such a time as that. And we were born for such a time as this. And we need to take that seriously. We need to prepare. I just, I really feel, and I'm going to have an episode on this in the coming months, but I really feel like within five years, by 2030, in America, we're going to have some major, major problems. I just, I see the tension building purposefully. I see the, the thing they're setting up for conflict in America. And I think there's going to be blood in the streets of America. I do not wish for that or hope for that, but we need to be prepared for that if it happens, um, because I, I think it could just turn into a jungle 
because of all that is being laid right now, all the foundations of which are being set, the open borders, the different things where they're setting up the conditions, the collapse of a fiat currency, so everyone's desperate, the collapse of the food systems, the energy system, they're setting it up so at the right moment there could be a great collapse like the world has never seen, and that will cause civil war like the world has never seen. Desperate times create monsters and people that will do anything to survive. And they know that, and that's what they're doing. But in this time of great uncertainty, we need to all be very thoughtful, very purposeful, very premeditated in making decisions and thinking through things, and not overreacting, but preparing for the unexpected, because I think we're living in a time where that's going to be normal things happening that have never happened before. Oh my goodness, I, this has never happened. Yeah, prepare for the unexpected because the unexpected is going to be happening. Our verse for this week goes right into that. James 1.19, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's very wise counsel. Be listening. Be paying attention. Don't talk too much. And, and listen to what's going on and be slow to wrath. The more prepared you are, the less likely you are to overreact out of fear or out of just being shocked by something. That's why we need to be a prepared people in every area where we're ready and we've thought through things. So it's not catching us off guard where we do something stupid and go, why did I do that? We don't wanna be like that. We wanna be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I appreciate you. I'm thankful that I get this opportunity to speak with you each week. And I just pray that you'll have a great week. And until next week, God bless you.